Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Happy to be here with our Catholic audience to speak about our faith, to really delve into, I guess, really the mysteries of what we call life and what we call faith and what, why we believe we're here on earth. But before we get started on this show, let's go ahead and start with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, we've got a special show for you today. Uh, a show about healing, about the power of healing, and really more than anything else, um, the power of healing for women. In particular, uh, I know that last week was the March for Life in Washington, D.C. A lot of people were marching, our bishops mar marching, to uh, help spread the news of really saving our babies and to prevent abortion. <clears throat> Today's show is really more for uh, the moms who have come to me who have felt saddened uh, after they've had abortions, you know, so always I always find it something appropriate about starting with the Angelus, not only because it's the top of the noon hour and that's when we pray, but the Angelus is such a powerful prayer. It's the incarnation of Christ and it's Our Lady saying yes to life, not only to bearing the God child, not only bearing, not only to being the Theotokos, the God bearer, but really by doing so, she not only gave Jesus a doorway into earth, into his humanity, but gave us a doorway back to heaven for life. And today's show, I want to dedicate to all those moms who have felt remiss, who have felt uh, um, frustrated, who have felt uh, in a way traumatized, who have felt depressed after they've had an abortion and they've regretted it. Uh, you know, I'm not here to judge anybody or any, or, or for their actions, their sins, Lord knows, I stand in the confessional line as well, uh, and none of us are perfect, uh, but really there's, a, there's a, a few patients who have come to me in the past who felt really burdened and hurt 
after they had abortions and they didn't feel like they could talk to anybody about it because they felt like if they spoke to their friends if they spoke to their family if they spoke to anybody either they were told never to worry about it and that what they did was fine or they were condemned and they were told that they were evil uh, and that's really a tough place to be i think a, a lot of times women will feel trapped uh, how do how do I recover, said one of my patients. So let me tell you the story about one of them. And then I want to go through some biblical quotes that I found. I, you know, it was great because I found this article I'm going to tag on to the show. It's called 61 Bible Quotes That Will Encourage and Inspire Your Life. Quotes about life, quotes about love and strength. And this is actually coming from Women's Day. So womensday.com, I thought it was appropriate, uh, you know, that it's a, a website supporting women. And they have all these biblical quotes uh, that are supposed to inspire life. So let me tell you the story about this first uh, gal that I saw. She was probably in her early, she was in her early 20s. I'll say early. She was 23. Actually, she just graduated from college. The reason she came to me was because she was feeling depressed. She had just graduated. She thought that she was supposed to be happy. She thought, uh, gosh, you know, she was literally the first person in her family to have gone to college. We hear those stories all the time here in the United States, people who take advantage what we call the American dream, stay in school, uh, get their degrees. And she graduated from college. She got her degree. She was so happy about that. And oddly enough, she felt depressed and she wasn't sure why. And very common for people to get depressed after graduating, after a, a big accomplishment. It's, it sounds odd or it seems ironic. But the reality is after a big accomplishment, there's kind of a letdown, right? So you're running the race, you're, you're moving forward, and all of a sudden you get to the finish line. And then the question is, now what? You know, somehow when you're in college, you think, oh, I'm going to get that degree in my hands, and that's going to be magical. And I'm going to have the degree. And once I have the degree, everything's set up. I've got my degree. I'm going to have a house. I'm going to have a job. I'm going to have a car. I'm going to have a family. And so it feels that way. But then reality hits, and we realize we graduate, and we have a degree. But now what? Where are the jobs? Where are we going to find them? So she was going through all that. She was definitely finding some frustrations uh, post-graduation. Even though she had a degree, she was very accomplished. Family was very proud. And as we're talking about this, uh, she started to feel better because she started to think about different jobs that she could apply for with her degree. We kind of talked through that a little bit. We talked about really, are we finding jobs because we're trying to impress people or because they truly fulfill us or we feel like they are we're accomplishing something uh, positive or is it that we're trying to you know, find the job that society tells us we need to have. So we went through all these very deep conversations. And in the course of these deep conversations, of course, it wasn't just about job now, it was about family. And she thought about, she wanted to get married. She currently wasn't dating. And that was the other thing she felt like, gosh, I feel like I'm a professional woman. I was told that I would be such a catch and all these things and I can't find a guy. Well, the reality is dating is not about degrees. It's not about uh, accomplishments in a sense. It's really about chemistry and our accomplishments, of course, hopefully prepare us to have a good married life if we, if that's what we uh, uh, strive for, but we feel our vocation is to marriage. Uh, and of course, we use these accomplishments to support our families and to move forward. Uh, but in her case, it was more a matter of, you know, you got to find somebody who you think is a suitable partner, who you think is going to help you uh, have a good family. And as we started talking about family, we started talking about, well, what kind of guy you're looking for? What kind of value should he have? What kind of ideal should he have? And then she started to cry. And it was an odd place really for her to cry because we were just talking about family. We were talking about dating. We were talking about, uh, you know, her future. It seemed happy. 
And then we started talking about the, the question that made her cry said, you know, when you're, when you're looking for a husband, keep in mind, you want to have a family. So don't just think that this is going to be somebody that you're going to have to live with and love and put up with sometimes, right? As we all do as spouses, I'm sure my wife puts up with a lot for me. But I told her, think about this as the person who's going to be the father of your children, because are you going to, do you feel that they're going to be a good person to your children? Do you feel that they're going to instill the same values that you have uh, with your children? And she was Catholic. And I said, you know, keep in mind, finding somebody, if you want your children to grow up in a Catholic household, your best bet is to find somebody who's Catholic and has those values and who's going to load the family the way our faith teaches us. Well, that was fine and dandy, and that was good, and I thought we were headed in the right direction, and she just started crying. Started crying for no reason. Well, what appeared to be no reason. Obviously, there was a reason, but it didn't flow with the conversation. But there was something heavy on her heart. There was something heavy, because now she's thinking about moving forward. She's thinking about all her accomplishments, and she starts crying. I said, what's going on? And she was just kind of shaking her head. I gave her a minute, and I said, okay, what, what happened? We're talking about family. Let's backtrack a little bit. We're talking about your future. Things are going positive here. You're happy about the job prospects that you think you might have. What just happened? I thought having a family would be something good. I was thinking something tragic happened in her family while she was growing up or something. Very common. You know, people share their stories of growing up. We don't all have perfect childhoods. But she started crying. She started saying, I hope that my future husband accepts me. And of course, I was being positive. I said, well, why wouldn't he accept you? Gosh, if you find the right guy who wouldn't accept you, you're... A wonderful person you're thinking that you have good family values you want to move forward it seems like you're you have all the makings of, of having a positive attitude towards having a family but the reality was there was something heavy on her heart it was heavy on her heart and she said i hope he accepts me and i said well, what makes you think he wouldn't accept you and she was kind of shaking her head she didn't want to tell me she didn't want to tell me she, she said i i don't know how to you know what should i do and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I had an abortion. Said, I had an abortion when I was, when I started college, I thought I was going to have fun. And I was told, hey, I'm in college now. I'm free. I wasn't living at home. I was living in the dorms. There were parties every night. I was told, don't worry about anything. Go ahead and drink and have fun and, and uh, you know, do whatever you want. There's, college is the time to be free. Date as many people as you want. Have as much sex as you want. It doesn't matter. And she said, so I got into the party life. And when I got into the party life, yeah, I was keeping up with my studies, but I, I really enjoyed going out and meeting people and, and drinking and, and whatnot. She didn't do any drugs, but she was drinking a lot at parties because she said she felt more loose. Um, and lo and behold, she ended up getting pregnant. And when she got pregnant, she didn't know what to do. She said her head was spinning. She thought, gosh, there goes my college career. What's my family going to say again? I'm the first person in my family to go to college. How, how are they going to, you know, I'm not going to make them proud. What am I going to do? I got these hard decisions to make. I want to get my degree. This is going to interfere with my degree. She said, how am I going to accomplish everything I want to accomplish in life? Now I'm going to have this baby and that's my, going to be my whole focus. So of course, you know, I told my friends about it and I told my friends in college, I didn't tell my parents, but I told my friends in college and they were all like, you got to have an abortion. Don't, don't worry about it. This is for you. You got to think about your life. You got to think about your future. You, you can't worry about all this. Go have an abortion quick and easy, and then you never have to think about it again. Well, that was what she was told, that she would never have to think about it again. But that's not exactly what happened, right? So we're going to see what processes happened, what, what happened to her after she was talking to her friends, and what the process was when she went to the abortion clinic. 
uh, and why she's thinking about it now all the time, even as much as it's going to affect her future family. More when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. Today is a special show dedicated to moms and anybody who has felt the heavy burden of regretting having an abortion, of feeling like they wish they wouldn't have. I've talked to lots of moms who uh, who are in that position and it's challenging. You know, I was reading about uh, something that I always find fascinating. You know, when uh, when the moms are pregnant and, and there's something going on with the babies, uh, and, and the uterus and people, and we actually do surgeries on the babies in the uterus, you know, that's how important human life is. You know, it's how important life is in general that we're, that if we see any kind of malformation, we're even willing to go in there. I was looking at the, uh, this is just from Wikipedia and there's a history on, um, on fetal surgeries, on, on fetal surgeries, meaning babies in the uterus. And this is the first one was, uh, on April 26, 1981, the first successful human open fetal surgery in the world was performed at the University of California, San Francisco, under the direction of Dr. Michael Harrison. The fetus in question had a congenital hydronephrosis, which is a blockage of the urinary tract that caused the kidney to dangerously extend. To correct this, a vesicostomy was performed by placing a catheter in the fetus to allow the urine to be released normally. The blockage itself was removed surgically after birth. How important it is, you know, for human life that we value each other, that we're willing to go into the womb to fix uh, uh, malformations, anything that's going on. You know, there's been surgeries to fix babies' hearts. There's been surgeries to fix uh, what we call twin-twin transfusion syndrome. There's all these different syndromes that we are aware of uh, that happen to babies while they're in the womb that we're willing to treat, that we're willing to go in there. That's so important. Uh, for our, for our babies, but to moms who have uh, felt frustrated, here is an article from Women's Day that just gives you Bible quotes of inspiration. Here's a good one for you: First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Everything should be done in love. I love that because this patient I was telling you about—that's what she was feeling at this point. She was feeling um, frustrated and desolate before the break. We were talking about this young gal who came to me for therapy. She's had graduated college and thinking about her future family, but now frustrated, now sad because she wasn't sure if her husband was going to accept her. And so she was moving forward and in life, but started crying when we were talking about her, you know, forming a family, having a family, getting married, having children. And one of the reasons she was crying is because she got pregnant while she was in college and she was convinced by her friends to go have an abortion because obviously this was going to interfere with her future plans. So when she went to the abortion clinic, her friends actually took her and she said they were very supportive of her. You know, as far as the father, you know, they didn't want to ask too much, but she made it clear that he wasn't in the picture. This didn't come from a serious relationship. It kind of came from a, a, a one-time meeting, shall we say. She was just at a party and she thought it'd be fun. Uh, so there wasn't much support there in that, in that realm. And in fact, I don't even think that she uh, shared this information with him, uh, with the dad. But once she got to the clinic, she had the abortion, but she noticed that she was bleeding a lot. And the clinic told her it was normal and that there was no problem uh, and that she could go home and that it would it would clear up after, you know, a few hours. She, she should be fine, that it was just going to be like a heavy period. Well, she noticed that she kept bleeding the next day and the day after that, and she wasn't sure what to do. So she ended up going to the emergency department 
Uh, she didn't go back to that clinic and they told her that they needed to get her into surgery. They needed to, to help her because she had this profuse bleeding because she had retained, uh, as we say, retained products of conception. In other words, there were still baby parts in her, in her uterus. It didn't come out. And so she had to go in and they had to do a, a scraping of her, of her uterus. And what she was told is that they had to really go in deep. They had to scrape a lot. And the frustrating part for her was that she was told she wasn't sure uh, and they weren't sure if she was going to be able to have any more babies because a lot of time you end up with something called Asherman syndrome. And that means that after the scraping of the lining of the uterus, the uterus is no longer able to uh, sustain a human baby, a life. There's not, the, the baby's not going to be able to implant into the uterus. So that was weighing heavy on her because we talked about her future. We talked about how bright it was. And she was dealing with a couple of things. One, she said, I feel really sad because I don't know that I'll ever be able to have babies in the future. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, and she said, but then at the same time, I'm also feeling sad because I'm looking back and that might be my only baby. That that was it. And I, if I don't think about it, she said, I'm okay. I, I can move forward. I just can't think about it. So, but if I think about it, I break down. I can't, I can't move forward. I, th I think about what I did and, and it's just too much to take. I, I don't know how to handle it. So we slowed down a little bit the conversation and just said, you know, this is a lot to take to take on um, in terms of emotionally for you right now. So I said, why don't we end it here? Let's think about what you want to do as far as your jobs and whatnot. But we're going to come back and we're going to continue this conversation because you just gave me a lot of heavy, heavy information. Um, <clears throat> and she said, OK, so we made phone contact in between just to make sure she was OK, because it was a heavy conversation. And she was going to come back to the clinic to follow up to see where she was at and what we're going to do from here on out because can't change the past obviously but we can see what's going on in the future let me give you another quote here from this article uh, that's supposed to be inspirational for women again it's from women's day this is uh, ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 glory to god who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power and work within us let me read that again Glory to God, who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. I think that that's a powerful uh, quote because that's pretty much what happened. You know, this patient had to come back for the next sec session. What do you say? What do any of us say? I mean, you, we might be confront confronted with friends. We might be confronted with family members who all of a sudden share with us that they found themselves in a very uh, pressured situation or Maybe not. Maybe they just felt like, you know, they needed to have an abortion and that was going to be okay. And that that's what they wanted to do at the time. But then down the road might feel like they changed their mind and regret it. You know, it's a woman's prerogative to, to change your mind and, and regret things. Um, and if she regrets that, I think this is a wonderful quote because this is the conversation we had. Glory to God, who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power and work within us. Again, that's Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. You know, when she came back, I was thinking, well, what am I going to tell her? I, you know, this is this is a challenging situation. She wasn't so depressed that she needed medication. She wasn't in a situation where she wasn't functioning. She wasn't in a situation where I thought, boy, yeah, pills are going to help her. Further therapy is going to help her. She was in a situation where really she felt something that we don't really deal with in therapy much. And what she felt was guilt. You know, ultimately what she felt was guilt. And, and there's no way that we're not taught that in, in psychiatry, psychology. We're not taught to, to handle guilt, work with guilt or anything along those lines. 
Um, because guilt we feel is a negative emotion and somehow we have to challenge negative emotions, right? If you're feeling something that's not true, we challenge it. You're feeling depressed, we challenge it. We say, well, what can make you feel better? Let's get rid of the depression. Um, the guilt, it's the same thing. It's kind of like, let's get rid of the guilt, but there's no pill for guilt. You know, she was feeling remorse, regret, and guilt about, about uh, having had the abortion. Guilt, uh, you know, it comes with the idea that there was something amiss, something wrong, and there needs to be some kind of a reparation, really. If, we, if I feel guilty about something, I have to admit that I did something that was not either in line with my faith, with my culture, what I've been taught to be right, uh, that I went against something that was that I wasn't true to myself, I should say. Uh, I went against the truth and the truth that defines me as I have been taught by my Catholic faith. And that's what she was feeling more than anything else. She was feeling guilty. So the first thing we had to do was talk about what she thought was going to be best for her moving forward. How, what made her feel better about, about um, moving forward in life and how she was going to be able to forgive herself because she was beating herself up. Challenging to do because if we, Think about forgiving ourselves just on our own. Well, you know, how do we do that? How do I forgive myself for something that I did? It's a little bit too uh, too internal. I can't I, I can't be my own judge in that sense because I if I do that, that's just anarchy. I, I get to decide what's right or wrong whenever it's right or wrong. But she was feeling something uh, externally wrong. She was she realized that there was a, a greater truth out there. So we had to start there. We had to back. We had to go back and we had to say. Well, let's start with why you would even feel guilty. And she said, because I really feel, what if I think about it, I feel that what I did was wrong. Well, how do you know it was wrong? Well, she looked at me kind of knowingly and, and kind of like I was asking a silly question, but I was being serious. I said, how do you know that that was wrong? What, what makes you think that that was wrong? Why not just say, well, whatever I did was fine. She said, one, because I know that I feel this way. But two, she's all, I know what I was taught. She's all, I grew up in the Catholic faith. I knew what was what was right and wrong i, I knew the uh, truth from lies and she said i really feel like i fell to these lies uh, that my friends were telling me at the time because they were telling me it was going to be fine and i'm telling you right now it's not fine i said okay let's go back well what do you think god thinks about this because if you're going to talk about your catholic faith then obviously our judge is god and nobody else and that's why we go to confession and we go and we speak to the priest who is uh, standing there and the person of christ in that moment who can has the power to absolve our sins? And I said, "Have you prayed about this?" What? And she said, "I haven't. I can't." She said she felt too overwhelmed and felt that she could not present herself to God. And I got to say, you know, this is very common. I've felt that way myself many times. It is very common for any of us to feel that way. I can't judge her and all of a sudden tell her, "Oh gosh, you're wrong." You can always present yourself to God, even though that's the truth, right? Because I got to be able to tell myself that too. How many times have I done something where I feel like, boy? I really regret what I did. I knew it was wrong at the time. How am I going to present myself to God? It's impossible because God's not going to accept me. How's he going to accept me? I, what I did was wrong. I think it's uh, we start turning back into the old adage of Adam and Eve, and we start wanting to point fingers somewhere else. You know, no, it was the woman. No, it was the serpent. No, it wasn't my fault. It was my friends who convinced me. No, it was the alcohol. No, it was this. And we have to get to a point. For all of us, regardless of where we're at, that's why I say I don't judge anybody who uh, has had an abortion or anything along those lines. I'm not God. But if you're coming to me and you're feeling depressed about it, well, I would, I'm would i going to give you the advice that I would hope somebody gives me when I'm faced with my own shortcomings, with my own sins, and I feel overwhelmed by them. And that advice is you got to get to God. You got you to get to Christ. You got to start praying because God is still around us. God is still there, and God is not condemning us. We're easily pointing the fingers. We're condemning ourselves. 
what is God going to do? Well, this is like the next verse here, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it comes down to. Once we've recognized our fall, once we've, we feel, if, we, if I start feeling the burden of my sins, I start feeling that guilt, I got to turn to God because as St. Paul tells me in this one, Romans 15, verse 13, again, let me read that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice St. Paul doesn't say, well, you who are perfect. He doesn't say, may he fill you, all you who have never sinned. May he fill you who have never done anything wrong. May he fill you who have always been faithful. No, he just says, may he fill you. He's speaking to the Romans. I've got to remember back then when he was speaking to the Romans, there was a whole lot of debauchery going on in Rome. So he's telling all the Romans, hey, regardless of what you're doing, regardless of where you're at, you got to turn to God because only he is going to fill you with joy and peace, right? And that's really what we're trying to get to here. I realize that the burdens of our past, the burdens of what we've done before that we feel is wrong, that we know to be sinful, can be very overwhelming and very heavy. But we have to start getting to the point where we start to realize, how am I going to get past this? How am I going to forgive myself? Well, one, I got to forgive myself. That is a process in and of itself. But I got to do it understanding the mercy of God, understanding that I'm not my own judge. That is God who judges me. And if I have a contrite heart, he's going to fill me with joy and peace because nothing is beyond More when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Here's a little inspiration for you. Listen to this. Uh, doc, there's a doctor um, <clears throat> from the Texas Children's Fetal Center who, back in the 1990s, removed a 23-week-old fetus from her mother's womb in order to perform surgery upon a spinal tumor she had. The girl was placed back in the womb after a five-hour surgery and was born without complications. Tell me that that's not powerful. Of course, we're going to do surgery on our fellow human beings. And of course, every baby in the womb is a human being. Why would we go in there and do the surgery, life-saving surgery, if there is no life? We got to understand that. I always find that miraculous that we do these surgeries on, on these tiny beings, 23 weeks old. We're removing tumors and the baby is looking great. Take him out of the womb, put him back in the womb. It's really amazing the way God created the human body, the way God created womb, that we're always looking towards life. We're always looking to the survival of life. Well, here's another inspirational quote. <clears throat> this is, again, what I told uh, the patients, because what do you do? You know, I can tell her that God's going to fill you with hope and love. But she's like, you know, I don't know that. How do I trust that? How do I trust that God is going to fill me with hope and love? Well, let's look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous, strong hand. Notice he doesn't say that. Notice he doesn't say, I'll do this when you're perfect. He says, don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I would say that that's one of the most powerful you know, if we're looking at the Old Testament, that's got to be one of the most powerful things that God can tell us. I am your God. I am your owner, and I am your God, and I am in charge. Now, why is that powerful? Because we've got to look at, well, what kind of God is this? 
is this a tyrant God? Is this, is he going to smite me? Is he going to smoke me? Whatever the word is that people use. Obviously not because gosh, as soon as we sin, we should have already been crumbled and disintegrated after our first sin. If God was a tyrant after the first time we fell, we should have been done with, we shouldn't even exist. But what does he say? This is, this is a very important uh, uh, verse to, to parse here because this really lets us know who God is and who we are to him. Do not, don't fear. First of all, he understands who we are. He understands that we have fears and we're going to have different fears. Our, my patient had fears before she went to go get this abortion done. She had fears when she found out she was pregnant. She had fears during the abortion. She had fears when she was bleeding out. Lo and behold, she's okay. But now she has fears for the future that she uh, uh, might not be able to have babies. There's a lot of fear. And how many of us don't experience fear? Fear is just part of our lives. We're going to be afraid of different things. We might not always share it with people. We might not always be so apt to say, oh, yeah, this is what I'm afraid of because we're not supposed to show any chink in our armors, right, to the public. We're supposed to be strong. But if we're feeling the heavy burden of our sins, we're feeling guilt. This is a great verse to think of. The first thing God tells us, because he knows us well, is don't fear because I am with you. How many times when Jesus appeared to his apostles said, do not be afraid, especially after his resurrection, right? When he showed up to them in the room and he'd say, don't be afraid. How many times do angels appear to people and the first thing they say is fear not? right? <clears throat> Why? Because they understand that to us, the world of heaven is going to be so awe-inspiring, so huge, that the first thing it's going to steal on us is fear. It's going to instill fear because it's something that's unknown, and we're going to be overwhelmed by this. We're going to be overwhelmed by the light, and we're not going to, sure, I'm not going to be sure what it is. So if I come to God heavy with my sins, the question is, what does, what's the disposal of my heart? What's, what, what's the disposition of my heart uh, when I come before God? Is it prideful? Then I better be afraid. If it's with humility, I better be ready to accept his love. Am I ready to accept his love? Am I ready to trust God? Let's read this again. This is important. First, don't fear. God understands that we are afraid because why shouldn't we fear? Because I am with you. That tells me that there's something good here. Don't be afraid for I am your God. God owns us. It tells us not to be afraid. The next part is what's crucial. What kind of God is this? I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous, strong hand. Why would God tell us this? We have to look at it the way, the way it's written. I will strengthen you because he knows that we feel weak. My patient surely felt weak. I will surely help you because we feel helpless. We feel weak. We feel helpless. And God is telling us, look, I know what you need. I know how you're feeling. I know that you're afraid. You're feeling weak and you're feeling helpless. Isn't that what sin does to us? Isn't that the way Adam and Eve felt? The first thing they felt was shame. I will hold you with my righteous, strong hand. Why will he hold us with his righteous, strong hand? Because he's going to be our power and he's going to get rid of the shame. That's what it comes down to. This is, what, this is the part where we have to ask ourselves, do I believe in God as much as God believes in me? If I feel like I've done something wrong, especially uh, something along the lines of an abortion or something along the lines of, you know, I, I took somebody's life or something along the lines of I really betrayed my friend or I, I said really mean things to somebody and I brought them down. I killed them that way. Do I have enough faith that God has faith in me that I can be better than that, that God sees me as differently than the world sees me? In fact, that God sees me differently than I see myself. Let's read this again one more time. Powerful verse, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. 
I will hold you with my righteous strong hand. What God is really saying is, there's nothing to fear because I'm here to take care of you. I will strengthen you in your weakness. I will help you when you feel helpless. And I'm going to hold you in my strong, righteous, strong hand when you are feeling weak. And that's really what it comes down to for my patient. <clears throat> it came down to, you have to decide, does God love you still or not? Because at that moment, the hardest part is we don't love ourselves. She didn't love herself. She felt like, this is why she said, I hope my future husband accepts me. I don't know if he'll accept me. She said, because one, what if he wants to have children and I can't have children? Is he willing to take that risk? And two, I don't really feel lovable right now. How can somebody love me if I don't feel lovable? If I feel lovable, people will love me. If I don't feel lovable, people are going to people are going to are, are going to feel that they're going to get that vibe, and they're going to say, "Well, if you don't feel you're lovable yourself, why should anybody else love you?" It's just not the. Uh, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. Well, let's look at what Saint Paul has to tell us in Romans chapter twelve, verse nine: Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. I love that first part. Love should be shown without pretending. Love needs to be honest. Do I truly love myself or not? Love doesn't mean perfect, right? How can how can God love me if I'm not perfect? God didn't say I'm going to love you only when you're perfect. That's not what love is about. Remember, there's that term that says love is blind. What does that mean? It means that love sees you for who you are and is blind to your imperfections. How can I love my spouse? If I focus on imperfections, well, I'm going to find imperfections from my perception, not because my spouse isn't perfect, but because I might have made that judgment. But at the same time, I got to get rid of my own ideals of what's perfect or not perfect and love the person for who they are. That's just who they are. I can't say that they're perfect or not perfect. I got to say that's who they are. That's who God made. And I got to find that perfection. I got to see them with the eyes of Christ. Well, let's look at the next one. Philippians chapter four, verse 13. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. In life, we're going to find ourselves in difficult, difficult situations. We're going to find ourselves in situations that we wish we could go back and erase, whether it be we got into a bad relationship, whether it be we made dumb decisions, whether it be we said mean things, whether it be that I wasn't as kind as I could have been to somebody and I feel really bad about that. I can't go. How do I go back and fix that? Even if I apologize, it happened. How do I move forward right now or presently? I might feel really burdened by a lot of different things in my life. You know, then this is what we're talking about. We're talking about life. This is what's important about the March for Life or even these patients who come to me and, and talk about uh, uh, their regrets on having an abortion. Because one of the things that this patient also said was, I feel guilty because I'm alive. Now, this is very common, you know, very common for people who have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, to have what we call survivor's guilt. She looks back and she realizes this was a traumatic event. She says, I feel guilty because I'm still alive. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? I kind of had a feeling, but I asked her what she meant by that. She didn't really know, but she said, I feel like I shouldn't be alive either. And as we parsed it out, she came to realize something important about life that we don't think about until we're faced with death. And one of the challenging things for her was she said, I was so worried about my own life when I was bleeding out. I went to the emergency department because I didn't want to die. I was bleeding out and I did not want to die. And I got there and I was so happy that they were able to, to stop the bleeding that I was able to live. She said, and I feel guilty that I'm living and my baby's not. That's my survivor guilt. I have, I have stress about that. This is why she said, I don't want to think about it because if I think about it, I just feel overwhelmed. I'm alive and she's not, and it's my fault. And she found out it was, it was a, a baby girl. Um, that's what she found out at the clinic. 
um, because obviously they were trying to put the pieces together and now something happened, something remained inside the womb. And so she was going through survivor's guilt. So if anybody's feeling that way, it's probably pretty normal. It's it's a big challenge uh, to feel that because now she's been through something. But all I can think of is, <clears throat> you know, down the road, I, what I told her was, well, let's think to the future. If we believe in our Catholic faith, we believe that one day we're going to pass from this life as well. I said, you know, the doctors, they, they kind of saved your life in the moment, but we're all still going to die someday. And the question is, what are we going to be faced with when we die? Where's our heart going to be when we die? And I said, you know, we've got to remember that God can fix everything beyond what we think we can do or beyond uh, how we can imagine things. There's nothing impossible for God, as Jesus tells us. We can't limit the power of God. God, anything's possible. So I told her, hey, you know, you're probably going to meet your baby in heaven. And we're going to pray for your baby. And we're going to be praying for you as well. And I said, you know, that's part of our sessions. She started to feel a little bit better about that. And we went through a few different steps. I told her, why don't you write your baby a letter? Or whenever you're thinking about her, sit down and write a little bit of a thought. Hold on to that. Because that's what's coming from your heart. And that's what you're going to take with you. And when you meet her in heaven, you're going to realize, you know, I never stopped thinking about you. I never stopped loving you. I made a mistake. Uh, I, I don't know how to fix it. But I can't fix it. Only God can. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Remember, we have eternity. Sometimes we forget that. We're still going to be there in eternity with each other. And quite frankly, I can't wait to meet everybody in heaven because then I'm going to be able to see you with my perfected eyes. Right now, I meet people and I might make judgments. <clears throat> I might not understand who they really are. I might not see them the way Christ sees them. And that can be really, really challenging because all of a sudden, I don't appreciate people for who they truly are. But once we get to heaven, I can't wait till we get there and my blinders are off and I get to see you the way God sees you. And I get to see you in a heavenly state, in a glorious state. And then really appreciate who you are. I told her, in fact, you're going to be able to do that. And she's going to be able to see you in the same way because we're going to trust in God's mercy to forgive us, help us move forward and look forward to a life together in heaven. More after the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. As always, happy to be here with our Catholic community speaking about our faith. Today, a special show for moms in general, but especially for any mom who feels like, you know, they wish they wouldn't have had an abortion, they don't know who to talk to about it, and they feel like there's no hope. You know, I get a lot of people sometimes telling me, well, Dr. Sandoval, how can you, you know, if somebody comes to you at that point, that's the time to really lay it down for them and, and let them know, hey, what you did was wrong and you got to get, you got to be out there and you got to go to confession and you got to do this and that. I think the person, they're already feeling that way. They, they already know that, you know, I think they, they, they're at the point where they understand that what they did was wrong. We don't need to beat anybody up. There's something working in that heart and what's working is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who let, ultimately lets us know, hey, what you did is right, what you did is wrong. Our conscience is going to tell us what you did is right or what you did is wrong. If somebody's already feeling like they're grappling with that, I think they're on the right path. We're on that journey to Christ. Listen to this. This is what this is what I always think about when anybody comes to me with that heavy burden. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. There's two verses actually I want to read. This first one, Romans 15, 7. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you for God's glory. What does that tell me? Not my place to judge. Not to judge in the sense that I say the person's going to go to heaven or hell or anything like that. I can tell them, hey, you know, this is objectively right or objectively wrong based on uh, the teachings of our faith and our catechism, of course. 
we can discuss that part where they're going to end up what their trajectory in life is what their mission is in life that's for god to decide but my job is to help them figure that out still because we can't give that up sometimes we do things and the idea would be that gosh what i did was so wrong that i can't move forward i'm done god doesn't need me but that's not the truth because this is the truth right here psalm 139 verse 14 i give thanks to you that i was marvelously set apart your works are wonderful I know that very well. This is true for all of us, regardless of where we are in life. It's not about how many times we fall. It's about how many times we get back up. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. we got to remember that. Each of us was marvelously set apart. This is the therapeutic part of our Catholic faith. A lot of people say, oh, Catholic guilt and the Catholic Church is so this or that. Catholic faith is just a deposit of the faith that was given to us by Christ to remind us of this very idea. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. God is reminding us that we were set apart. And that means something. It means something. It means that we need to carry ourselves in a certain way. It means that we need to live our lives in a certain way. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect while we're doing it. But if we're set apart, that means that God is going to welcome us no matter what, because that's what he promised us. He promised us his mercy. There's no different than if you look at in the world, you know, there's monarchies, there's royal families, and you realize that when somebody's part of that royal family, they marry into that royal family. Everybody says, hey, the world, the eyes of the world are upon you. And now you have to behave a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to speak a certain way. You have to act a certain way. Because you are part of this royal family, you're part of this monarchy, there's a certain expectation on you. You can't be your old self anymore. In fact, you're not allowed to play certain games. You're not allowed to go certain places. And you need to you know, behave in a way that you're always on camera. You're always being watched. And you can't bring shame to the family. Isn't that how it goes? We see that all the time. We see that in our modern day and age with royal families having issues with infighting, things along those lines. And they say, that's very unbecoming of a royal family. Well, we got to remember, we are we were baptized into a royal family. We have to conduct ourselves in the same way. There is a way that there's an expectation on our behavior. And what is that expectation? That expectation, again, the verse I read before is to welcome each other in the same way Christ welcomed us for God's glory. If we're going to welcome each other the way God, Christ welcomed, welcomed us, then we have to look at the whole way Christ welcomed us. Christ welcomes us by forgiving our sins, but acknowledging that there is sin. Christ welcomes us by telling us, throw the first stone if you haven't sinned the way this woman has sinned. I love that parable, because, or it wasn't a parable, actually. I love that gospel reading where they bring the adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery, they bring her before Christ and they say, hey, we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Christ showed us sin and mercy all at the same time, but it's all in how we present ourselves to him. He showed us that this woman was caught in sin and she was humbled. She was looking down. She didn't look up. She was crying. She knew what she did was wrong. And she knew that she deserved to be stoned per the law. He also knew that all these people who were ready to stone her, they have sinned too, but they showed up prideful. They showed up as though they had done nothing wrong and they were the judges uh, of everybody else. They, they felt that they could judge this woman and they brought her before the judge. And Christ is showing us how he's going to judge us. He's going to say, let's look at everybody's sins and let's look at how you're reacting to it. If you've anybody who hasn't sinned, go ahead and, and, and make a judgment. Guess who could the only person who could throw that stone Two people, him or our lady. That was it. That's what really Christ was saying. He reminds us in that in that gospel reading that he's the judge. And how did he judge us? 
he didn't condemn all those other people, even though they came pridefully. He didn't say, you're all going to go to hell because you're being so prideful. He said, go ahead, throw the first stone. See if you're bold enough to do that. But in your hearts, you all know that you've sinned. He didn't forgive any of their sins. He didn't say, all your sins are forgiven. They walked away. He turned to the woman who was officially caught in sin. We knew her sin. Her sin was named. And he said, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Christ tells us the truth. That's how Christ welcomes us. He says, are you humble to recognize, humble enough to recognize that you've sinned, but recognize that I'm your judge and I'm going to forgive you? That's really what it comes down to. That's, that's why, you know, that's not the moment. When somebody comes to me in therapy, this is what I always think about. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. This is what I would hang over my door. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. That's really what Christ is for us. And that's what I hope that you find. If you find yourself in that situation where you feel guilt, where you feel like you regret something, where you feel like you don't know that you'll ever be forgiven because you don't feel like you're forgivable, where you don't know that you'll ever be loved because you don't feel like you're lovable. Think about that. Find somebody who's happy with you when you're happy and somebody who understands how to be supportive with you when you are uh, when you need that sort of support. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. And that's what I say to anybody out there. Somebody comes to you with a heavy burden on their heart, walk with them with that heavy burden. I'm not saying lie to them and tell them everything's okay. Support them. Be honest with them. I think more than anything else in this world, what people appreciate is the truth. Honest truth, because without the truth, how do we know what direction we go into? You know, we got uh, truth is our compass. It's our, our true north is what we say, right? Is that pointing true north? There is a truth out there. People are love to tell you that there's no truth, that there's just, you know, facts are not truth and truth are not facts. And there's all this confusion. But the reality is there is a truth. How do we know there's a truth? There's a legal system. We have our legal system. It tells us this is right and this is wrong. Why? Because you're punishable for what's wrong. It's very black and white, very objective, you know. So it's out there. But is this the moment when somebody comes to you with a heavy burden? If somebody tells you, I really regret what I did especially any moms out there who who feel like, you know, I don't feel like people were honest with me. I felt like I was pressured. I felt like I didn't have a choice. I want to tell other people that they do have a choice. They do have a voice. That's not the time to say what a hypocrite you are because look at what you did. And no, really, it's it really comes down to that person has experience that I don't have. And they see things that I don't see now. And really, I think I could learn from them. And I need to listen to what they have to say because you're going to hear all different sorts of stories But if you find yourself in a position where you're feeling something where people tell you that you're wrong, it's best to inquire about it. It's best to pray about it and to ask somebody who would have your best interest at heart. Listen to this. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. I said these things to you so that you will have peace in me. In the world you have distress, but be encouraged. I have conquered the world. Those are the words of Christ himself. So again, if I say, find somebody who's going to understand you, I would recommend the first thing that we all do every day is try to find a tabernacle somewhere. Try to find a church somewhere that even if we're just driving by, we make the sign of the cross and remember that there is the presence of Christ who's going to heal everything. I wonder what Our Lady felt when the angel appeared to her and told her, you're going to have a baby. She was afraid. The angel told her, not be afraid, right? And she was a little perplexed. She was There was maybe some confusion. How am I going to have this baby if I don't know man? And really, you know, things were 
probably she didn't understand a lot of it, but what she did have was something very powerful and she had faith. She had faith in God. She said, I don't understand how this is going to happen, what it's going to do, but you know what? This is what God wants. Let's do it. Whatever it is that God says, I'm going to trust him wholeheartedly. I think we got to get to that point where we realize God is still setting us apart regardless of what happened, regardless of what we did. And I have to trust that God is putting me in, on the right path still. I'm still on this earth. I've got air in my lungs. I can think. I've got a beating heart. That means that God still has a mission for me on this earth. I'm not done. God's not done with me. I better not be done with God because God sees me in a different way than this world sees me. But God understands that this world is painful. Jesus himself told us, let me read that again. I said these things to you so that you will have peace in me. Isn't that what we're looking for? When we're feeling distressed, when we feel like we've done something, when we feel like we don't understand right from wrong anymore, we need peace and we're going to find that in Christ. In the world, you have distress. That's what we're talking about. But be encouraged. I have conquered the world. It's important to uh, remember this because it's easy to get lost. It's easy to feel frustrated. It's easy to feel like we're going to be judged uh, and and we don't know who to turn to. Why Why would I turn to anybody else? Um, but And we can feel very shaken by this. But let's read Psalm 62, verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. If we come to understand that, I would say we need to surround ourselves with people who understand this as well. Because if I go to somebody for advice, I would hope that they veer me back towards Christ and whatever they say, or that they've been praying, or that they understand my faith in such a way that they're going to give me advice that will lead me to Christ again. Because I would hate for anybody to tell me otherwise, to tell me, uh, to lead me astray, to lead me in the wrong direction, and not let me know the truth, that I'm still valuable. The worst thing to do, I think, if somebody is feeling guilty about something, is to say, oh, don't worry about it, you shouldn't feel guilty. Mm -mm. That's not good, because you're just going to bury that, and it's going to it's going to be like a, a, a festering uh, a boil. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse if we don't address it. The first thing we've got to ask ourselves is, why do we feel guilty? Sometimes people feel guilty for no reason. This can happen. This can happen when people who experience major depressive disorder, uh, very common to, to feel guilty for no reason, to feel like I'm going to be blamed for everything. I feel like I did something wrong. I feel like I'm going to be fired. I don't get it. It's very common to feel this way. But this is why it's good to bounce this idea off of somebody. If we're feeling guilty, if we're feeling in despair, if we regret anything we did, I would say talk to somebody who you trust has your best interest in heart, right? Because ultimately, it's about God. It's about getting closer to God, and it's about accepting God's mercy. Here we are at the end of the month of January. The name of Jesus is what's most important. Let's not forget that, because ultimately, in Jesus is where we're going to find our faith. Let's read one last verse here at the end of the show. Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Remember this, folks. In the name of Jesus Christ, all things are possible with God, regardless of how you're feeling out there, regardless of what our fears and regrets are, regardless of whether we feel like we're being accepted or not. Let's turn to God because all is possible with God. Let's turn to Christ. Let's go to confession. Let's receive communion. And until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep the Catholic.